All right, your, your word this week, kiddos, and apparently some adults have gotten into this, and the adults are arguing more than the kids. You're not allowed to argue with the final score. Your word uh, this week is spirit, and I'm changing the game on the fly once again. Um, I am going to change my scorekeeper every week, and I did this in the first service on the fly, so nobody in this room is safe. One of you is going to be my scorekeeper, but I'm going to be intentional with this every week because it's somebody that I want you to get to know, okay? So, Tim Green, you're my scorekeeper this week. Tim, stand up. Tim is an elder at our church. He is going to be the new clerk of our session. You need to know Tim Green. So after the service, Tim will be in the narthex with the official score. You cannot argue with our rules keeper. If you get it right, you get a high five. You get it wrong, you get a shun, okay? (laughs) All right, Tim, you're in charge. Spirit is your word. There's a lot of spirits this week. It does not start yet. It starts when I start the sermon, okay? Ready, go. Go. All right. If you recall... Uh, last week, the discourse took a dramatic, um, I, you might even say somber turn, uh, when Jesus told his disciples and us, of course, last week, by application, um, to expect persecution because it's coming. He didn't present it as an option. He said, it's coming and you need to expect it. And we, locked, we looked at that last week. And as we continue on in John, what you feel is the proverbial air gets sucked out of this upper room and all of a sudden what has been such a joyful meal and conversation turns to sorrow and Jesus even knows that look at verse 6 but because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your hearts their hearts are filled with sorrow and Jesus knows it So immediately, immediately he follows it up with a promise. And this is his promise. I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving you, but good news, I'm not leaving you. How's that possible? That's what we're going to explore this morning. I came home from work this week uh, to an interesting situation. Um, Our boys were in the backyard, which is normal. Uh, They were swinging golf clubs at many things, none of them being golf balls, uh, which is actually fairly normal as well. But then it got a little strange. I went to uh, the door I normally go in. I went to go in and the door was locked, um, which was strange. I knocked, no answer. I went around the back, the back door. That door was locked. Um, But I could see Abby in the kitchen going about her things and the doors were locked and, you know, knock, knock. Hey, you let me in? She comes opens the door, I rush in, close it, locks it behind me. So, what are you doing? I said, I locked him out. <laughs> I can't do it. She said, um, she said, they're being crazy. I'm trying to get dinner ready. They're all wanting something different from me while I'm trying to get the house in order. There's only one of me. I can't do two things at once. I can't do what they want me to do and what the house needs. So, I just locked him out of the house. Every mother knows what that is like. There is only one of you and demands at all times coming in all directions. And the only way you could possibly pull this off is that there's more of you, but there's not more of you. You can't clone you. You have to be at one place at one time, do one thing at a time. So sometimes you just got to lock the kids out of the house. 
You know what Jesus is going to say this morning? It's good. By the way, Henry was in the house. (laughs) Don't call protective services. Henry was in the house. Our two-year-old, Abby, said, make sure they know that. Henry's in the house, very happy and healthy. Okay. Here's what Jesus is going to say to us this morning. It's good that I'm leaving because by leaving... I'm actually going to be able to be in more places than one. Actually doing more things than one. Actually with each of you as if I were only with you. I know your hearts are filled with sorrow, but something better is coming, and the something better is me. Only more me. The multiplication of me to all who trust in me. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He says, I know you're sorrowful. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. To which they would say, how could that be to our advantage? He says, for because if I do not go away, the helper cannot come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, you can go back to the sermon. We're going to talk a lot. This, is, this passage is about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about him this morning. You can go back to chapter 15, where, I, where he first comes up, and I speak to that more doctrinally. That's not my, my, I'm not going to nuance out the Holy Spirit this morning. Rather than focusing on who he is, I want to focus more on what he does this morning, because that, I think that's the, the thrust of the message here. And what he does in this world is essentially what Jesus did in this world. He is the magnified, multiplied presence and witness of Jesus. Something we fail to appreciate about the sacrifice the Son of God made in the incarnation is that he is forevermore fully man inescapably bound to his humanity. He is fully human as you are fully human forevermore. Now, there is something different about his resurrected, glorified body we see after the resurrection. There's something strange about it that we can all expect in our own resurrected bodies as if the laws of space and time do not apply to him. He appears in locked rooms and so forth, but he's still physical flesh. But here's the reality. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is never in two places at once doing two things at once. In His humanity, fully human, He is only one place, having only one encounter with only one person or groups of people. We never see some multiplication miracle of Jesus where He's in two places at once because He is fully human. Now just think about the implications of that. This is a man who lived 30-some-odd years ago, a long time ago, first century. Only three of those years were itinerant traveling work. But even in his travels, he never really went beyond a 200-mile radius. So about half of Kentucky. That's not a problem if you are establishing a conventional religion. That's not a problem. If If you're establishing a conventional religion, you're just saying, here's what God told me, I've written this holy book, here you go, pass it along. You can do that. But what if you, yourself, you are the religion? What if the central tenet of the faith is two words, follow me? What if 
the way your religion is conceptualized is that it's not a religion, it is a relationship with the founder. How is that possible? Jesus says, I'm going to go away so that the helper can come to you, and that's better for you. So what is the help of the helper? He does on a global scale what Jesus did in first century Palestine. He does for each of us individually what Jesus did for those privileged few individuals that got to encounter him personally. He is the ongoing, living legacy and work of Jesus Christ on earth. And what we see in our passage here is that he continues to do exactly what Jesus did in his ministry. Two things in particular, which are the operative verbs in these verses. Two things that he, meaning the Spirit, does. The exact two things that Jesus did. He convicts and he declares. Let's look at each of those. First, he convicts. Verse 8. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. There's a lot of uh, grammatical um, nuancing there. It's a very difficult interpretive passage. that quite frankly, it's not worth the time to get into the finer details of that. And the reason why it's not worth the time is because they're all kind of different nuanced way of saying the same thing, which is this. The Spirit continues to do what Jesus did everywhere he went. Jesus is often presented in our day and age as a conciliatory, appeasing, get along with everybody person when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus brought conviction and disruption into every single situation he entered and every single person he encountered. His conviction came, I call it the, 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 uh, the, the disruptive witness of Jesus. And his conviction came by redefining sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that is what we see here is what the Spirit continues to do in His physical absence. Concerning sin, Jesus says the Spirit will convict because they do not believe in Me. Jesus redefined, this is what Jesus did when He was here. He redefined sin with this simple question, who do you say that I am? We're all sinners. We are all sinners But Jesus said the dividing line becomes, where do you stand with me? And so he's saying the Spirit will continue to convict concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, Jesus says here, the Spirit will convict because I go to the Father. It's an interesting way to put it. Here's what he's saying. Jesus was the definition of righteousness on earth. He defined righteousness away from uh, religious righteousness and he defined righteousness as himself. He is the very embodiment of the righteousness of God. Well, if it's him, not his rules, that is the definition of righteousness, then how do we encounter and know what righteousness is? If Jesus is the definition of righteousness 
then how do we know exactly or encounter exactly righteousness? Jesus says, because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer. And that's how it will work. Righteousness goes to the Father. You see him no more. But because he, because he goes to the Father, his spirit, the embodiment of righteousness, is able to still be defined as Jesus, though Jesus is not physically there is the demonstration of righteousness. So he remains this convicting presence of righteousness by the work of the Spirit. Concerning judgment, Jesus says the Spirit will convict because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus exposed the pervasive works of evil in this world. Demonic forces trembled before him asking for mercy. He, He undid the effects of the fall He ultimately triumphed over Satan and the cross and resurrection. The arrival of Jesus marked the demise of Satan. And Jesus saying that the Spirit continues that work of judgment against all evil forces in my absence. So listen, in all this, here's here's the greater point. Here's the summation of, of all of this. The Spirit continues to convict just as Jesus convicted. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought upheaval, disruption, he exposed the work of darkness. He confronted idolatry. He rebuked sin. He, he, he stood up to the self-righteous. And it was always perfect and personal. Meaning, have you, have you noticed when you read the gospel just how, how perfect and right are his confrontations to the individual or to the situation? Whether it's the greed of a rich man where he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, or whether it was the arrogance of the Pharisees where he said, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick, or the, the, the shame of a prostitute that he makes her face that, or the, the family idolatry in Middle Eastern culture where he says, if you don't hate your family, you can't be my disciple, or the lack of faith of his disciples where he's constantly saying, you of little faith, he just convicted in a perfect, personalized way. Nobody encountered Jesus without being left unsettled by Jesus. And his point is that the Spirit will continue the work of his disruption. But on a much bigger scale. Yes, a global implications. Jesus continues to turn this world upside down by the works of his spirit just as he turned the first century Palestine world upside down in his presence. Jesus continues to turn this world upside down by his conviction. So yes, but he's talking to his disciples saying it's good that I go so that the spirit may come and convict as I have convicted. What would Jesus expose in you if he were here with you today? Here's the point. If you are a spirit-filled believer, you don't have to answer that question because it's already happening. He is perfectly, intimately, personally pressing in on your unique idols, exposing your unique sins, confronting you where you need confrontation. Jesus continues to convict the world and us by the presence of of his Holy Spirit. But it's not just conviction that Jesus brought into this world. It was also a declaration. Let's look now at that ministry of the Spirit. Jesus did much more than this disruptive 
conviction. It is also accompanied by a proactive proclamation. He convicts, but he also convinces. He, he exposes what is untrue, but he, he also proclaims what is true. Now look at verse 13, where the ministry of the Spirit turns that way. He's talking about he's going to convict the world of these things. Then verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So it's not just that the spirit continues the convicting of lies. He continues the convincing of truth. You see, just as Jesus himself is convicting, Jesus himself is true. He defines what is true because he is the embodiment of true. Why is that? Because he is the incarnation of truth. He is not a prophet that said, God told me to tell you this is true. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you. He speaks truth as though he is the truth. The final authority of truth. Because he is. He viewed himself as the embodiment of everything the Father has to say to the world. The perfect revelation of God. Okay, now look at what he says about the ministry of the Spirit. Continue on in 13. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare, he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. All the, this is the summation. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's, that's, that's thick Trinitarian language for this. The Spirit doesn't speak truth on his own. He declares to us what the Son speaks. But the Son doesn't speak on his own. He, he declares what the Father has spoken. Thus, Jesus sums it all like this. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is the instrument of triune truth. In the first point, I asked, what would Jesus confront and expose if he were with you? And I said that you already have that answer because he's already doing that. Well, now I say, what would Jesus try to convince you of if he were here with you today? And you know what? You already know that. Because Jesus, by his Spirit, is trying to tell you. You may struggle to believe him, just as Jesus told the disciples over and over and over again, and yet still they doubted or disbelieved. But nevertheless, Jesus was faithful to declare, and so is the Spirit. He's telling you what's true. He is combating your doubts, your anxieties, your your ignorance, your unbelief, your lies. He is combating them all with what is true. Now, we may struggle to believe him, but he is faithful to declare. We can quench the spirit, people. He is always faithful to convict, but we do not have to yield to that conviction. He is always faithful to tell us what is true, but we do not have to believe him. We can doubt. That's very much a part of a relationship with Jesus, But Jesus is faithful by his Spirit. So what does the Spirit do? He convicts like Jesus convicts, and he declares like Jesus declares. Essentially, everything Jesus did, the Spirit now does in his absence. Do you ever find yourself 
wishing that you could have been there. Do you ever read the Gospels and say, wow, what was that like? Wonder what it would be like to be one of those few blessed people who encountered Jesus. What would he say to you? How would he challenge you? How would he encourage you? What would it be like to have an encounter with Jesus? You know what the answer is, according to this passage? Exactly like your life is right now. In fact, even more so, because you're not getting an encounter with Jesus, you have the abiding presence of Jesus. If you look at these disciples and you say, how, how in the world after these encounters with Jesus did they still disbelieve? Well, I would say to you, how, how, as the presence of the Spirit continues to tell us these things, do we still disbelieve. If you look at them and you say, well, if Jesus was the one confronting me, I would repent. I would say to you, Jesus is the one confronting you by His Spirit, and yet we are slow to repent. We tend to think of the Spirit's work in phenomenal, extraordinary ways when in fact the Spirit's work is extraordinarily ordinary. The mundane, day in, day out, convicting and declaring work of Jesus in our lives and He is always faithful to do just that. Like I said, He can be resisted but he is always faithful. Like Jesus walking down the road with his disciples, convicting, declaring, you have the abiding presence of Jesus with you and he is always faithful. Sometimes it's a season of conviction. That was my week. This week took me to the mat. Will said, he, Will said in an announcement, you know, that he and some friends got together to challenge one of the leaders one of our church leaders on some stuff in his life. Guess who that was? And then in another conversation, echoed the same thing in another conversation. It's just like, Lord, have mercy on me this week in a painful, sanctifying way. This is a week of conviction for me. Sometimes it's a season of convincing, declaring, where you need him to just speak promise. You need him to encourage you. So, Sometimes a season of declaration, sometimes a season of conviction. Usually it's a combination of the two, but the promise is this. Jesus is, unlike wives, moms, me, you, who arrogantly all try to be all things to all people and everywhere at all times, Jesus is in two places at once. Jesus is in a million places at once. He is in, I don't know, 300 places right now in here at once. And all throughout the world, doing so many things at once. And the only way that's possible is that it's good that he went, that the Spirit may come. So, here's the application for your parish group tonight. By the way, um, if you'll allow me, one quick aside, speaking of parish groups. Do not individualize this passage. If your application of this passage is, oh, I've got the Spirit, so then, it, then it's just me and Jesus on this journey together that is wrong, 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 wrong in so many different ways. And it's going to lead to two big errors. One would be the Scriptures, okay? 
we know definitively what the scriptures say are the word of the Lord, is the word of the Lord. So if you say the Spirit has told me, the Spirit is saying this and it contradicts the Bible, the Spirit's not saying that. You're saying that. The other way this can be misinterpreted, and this is what I was wanting to say, is, is that you should therefore turn Christianity into this individualism thing. The opposite application is true. Community has got to become a priority. Because now what's happening in parish group? It's not you and your buddies getting together. It's spirit-filled believers getting together and more Jesus. More Jesus together. And, and that when my brother and sister is speaking, I know that that is the literal, we, he calls it the body of Christ for a reason. That's his presence. So don't individualize this. But that's my side. Here's my application for parish group tonight. And it's really simple. What's Jesus up to in your life these days? I know he's up to something because he's in your life. By his spirit, he is in your life. What's he up to? Maybe more specifically would be my two main points. Where is he convicting? Where is he declaring? Because that's what Jesus does wherever he goes. And he goes with you wherever you go. He's up to something. What's he convicting? What's he exposing? What's he confronting? What's he rebuking? And you know you need to repent. What's he declaring? What's he proclaiming? What is he heralding? And you know you need to believe him. What is Jesus up to in your life? Because Jesus is in fact in your life, literally. I'll let everyone flesh that out in community with other spirit-filled believers together tonight. But I know one thing that is certainly true for all of us this morning, always true every week from this pulpit that will now lead us to the table which is the sacrament the Spirit uses more than anything else to both convict and declare Jesus to all of us. What is Jesus up to in your life? The same thing he's always up to in your life, the gospel. Look one more at verse 14 and we'll be done. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Ultimately, the Spirit glorifies Jesus by taking all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has and declares it to you. At the end of the day, all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has is himself, is the gospel to you. Jesus came into the world to convict and declare ultimately what this means. What is his ultimate conviction? That you need Jesus. What is his ultimate declaration? The good news that Jesus is yours. That's what Jesus is all about, so that's what the Spirit is all about. Convict the world that they need a Savior and convince the world that Jesus is their Savior. And so that is ultimately what the Spirit is here to do this morning. Glorify Jesus by convicting you of your need for Him and yet declaring the gospel, the good news that you have Him. Let's celebrate that now at the table. Lord, we pray by your Spirit that you would use this sacrament to convict and to declare what is true of Jesus Christ. Nothing makes you happier, Spirit, than when Jesus is proclaimed. And so we now proclaim Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ shall come again.
and we now in the sacrament proclaim the truth of your gospel that all that Jesus has has been given to us. Spirit, impress it upon our hearts and may we yield in Jesus' name. Amen.